Thank you for tuning in to Morning Moments with Pastor Bruce Goddard from Faith Baptist Church. We pray that this is a blessing to you. Welcome. Great to get a few minutes together today. And we're in part three of the treatment of sinners, of our relationship to people who have been uh, sinners. You know how people are. Those are bad people or they're not so bad. If it's if it's stuff that we do, then it's not so bad. If it's stuff other people do and we wouldn't dream of, then they're bad sinners. And I've heard that they even have those kind of things in prisons. They've got sections for the really bad criminals where the criminals think they're bad criminals. But uh, before we get to the scripture, uh, let me just say a quick word or two about uh, the faithfulness of God. We have seen in the last years, at least in my opinion, we have seen... Um, election compromise. We have seen Department of Justice and FBI compromised. We've seen our courtroom, our Supreme Court certainly compromised. Uh, we had one of the Supreme Court justices just clearly, blatantly lie about statistics to the rest of the Supreme Court. And, um, you know, within a, with a political agenda, we would assume we have seen our public school system, of course, getting worse and worse and worse. But in, in the last couple of years, we've seen the public schools put the welfare of the students and the education of the students at the very bottom rung of the ladder and their own ease and good uh, up at the top of the ladder, which is so uh, opposite anything we've done before, it seems. But in all these things, uh, the compromise in medical, in judicial, in legal, in uh, the electoral, all of this kind of thing, you know, God is still good and God is still sovereign. I'm not saying these things are good. I'm saying these things didn't happen without God knowing what's going on. I'm saying that none of these events could have taken place without the knowledge of God, the permissive will of God, and, and God's incredible sovereign plan for the ages. And I, I love that, that God gets his work done. And uh, some a little while back in the book of Acts, I talked about how God warned Paul three times uh, about not going to Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem anyway. God had a plan of Paul going to uh, Rome, and and Paul wanted to go to Rome after he went to Jerusalem. Well, he he ended up in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, and in Rome. He did what he wanted. He did what God wanted. Just the trip to Rome was a pretty miserable one. Two years in jail and a and a prisoner ship. Uh, shipwreck and a whole bunch of other troubles along the way, but he got there. God's got a plan. Now you can trust him and you can rest in him. And though the whole world collapse around us, and though I doubt my faith and you doubt yours, God is still faithful. You see, the unfaithfulness of man cannot erase the faithfulness of God, and we can trust in him. And when we don't trust in him, he's still trustworthy, and we serve a great God. So just, uh, I understand we're we're in difficult, trying days, but uh, people still get saved, and um, we're, we have people saved every single week, and we baptize converts, and and uh, we're enjoying visitors in church, and and uh, you know if we if we didn't have any of those things, if we just knew our name was written in the book of life, it'd all be worth it. And so let's don't forget how good God is. So let's take a minute. We um, We've had through this is the third lesson in a series in the treatment of sinners in the church or the individual's relationship to people who've who've um, done wrong. We talked about James um, in James chapter two, 
Whosoever will keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. And he talked about fulfilling the royal law, loving your neighbor as yourself, and um, and um, that he shall have judgment without mercy, that it's shown no mercy. That's James 2.13. We talked about Matthew 9 and how um, the publicans and sinners sat down to eat with Jesus and the Pharisees said, why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? They were busy judging Jesus because he was hanging around sinful people. Um, and the rebuke in Matthew 9 was out of Hosea 6, 6, um, where Matthew quotes it, uh, Jesus quotes it, I'll have mercy and not sacrifice, for I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Oh, in regard to John the Baptist, they attacked Jesus. Um, and they said, he said of, of Jesus, or of John, <clears throat> um, uh, they said that, uh, that John was, uh, didn't, wasn't eating and drinking, hanging around people, and he was terrible. And, and then um, Jesus comes. He's eating and drinking, and they call him a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. And um, um, we read about the Jesus telling Peter, you don't forgive somebody seven times. You forgive them 70 times seven. And then he goes into the parable of the man who was forgiven a great debt, but then wouldn't forget his co-worker a very small debt. And uh, Matthew 18, 35, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. These are serious warnings, serious uh, challenges. Remember Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus is up in a tree watching to see Jesus, and Jesus has him come down, and he goes to his house to eat. And that critical crowd murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that was a sinner. And in this old critical world of ours, you can get in trouble just by who your friends are. And let's get this clear. If you get attacked and slandered because you are friends of someone who is uh, a sinner, at that point, you just became a part of a very good company, the company of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Matthew 5, 7, I talked about, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Now, I just don't know a verse that you might want not want to get focused on any more than that because we need mercy. I need mercy. You need mercy. And it's very clear that um, if you, in Matthew 6, 15, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so, anyway, we talked about a lot of that. Here, here's just the end. I want to wrap this these three lessons up. In Matthew chapter 7, a familiar verse, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. With what measure you meet, you shall be measured to you again. The way you put pressure on others, the way, what you demand of others, what you, how you evaluate others, God's going to turn it right back around on you. And the day's going to come when you're going to be judged in that same manner. Well, Romans 14 talks about this thing of judgment. Romans 14 says, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. And so and, uh, Paul's talking to the people there at the, the church at Rome, and, and, he, and he warns them, it's not your job to judge another man's servant. See, um, I can't give speeding tickets, it's not my job. Uh, I can't give building code violation citations out, it's not my job. And so um, it's not my job to judge my brother, that's God's job. 
It's not my job to train and discipline my neighbor's child. That child was given to them, and uh, I was given my own children. And um, there's churches all over our community that I would not agree with theologically, but that's not my church. It's not my job. It's not my job to walk into that other guy's pulpit and try and straighten out their doctrine. It's his pulpit. It's their church, not my church, not my pulpit. And the question Paul asks in Romans four, Romans 14, and it go all the way, if you want to read it, I won't take time here, but from verse 4 all the way down to verse 14, 10 verses there talk about this. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? What do you think you're doing? And unless it's your job to judge somebody, you need to shut up about it. It's you know the word gossip, the word slander, um, the you know the devil's called in Romans or in Revelation, I believe it's chapter twelve, the accuser of the brethren. And it's interesting, he's not called the false accuser, because probably we give him enough stuff that he's got plenty to accuse us of without having to go to false accusation. He's the accuser of the brethren, and I don't want to be in that kind of company. I don't want to be one who is. Uh, siding with the devil, uh, looking for things that that the brethren um, have not done correctly and then accusing them. Over in the book of James, we read earlier in James 2.13, he shall have judgment without mercy that hath shown no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. And what a, what a desperately tragic thing to face life without the mercy of God. And yet, God says, I won't have mercy on you. I just won't. You don't have mercy on anybody else. I'm going to have no mercy on you. And in James, he goes down in Roman, or goes down to chapter 4, James chapter 4, verse 11. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He makes it very clear. It's not your job to speak evil of the brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But, the, but if thou judge the law, then the, uh, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? And so you hear again another passage, Matthew 7, uh, Romans 14. And now in James chapter 4, we read this matter of, of passing judgment on people. Uh, you go to the courtroom and the judge uh, decides, you're, uh, the jury says you're innocent or guilty. The judge meets out the punishment, whatever it might be, and um, and uh, somebody else, you know, the judge says, "Let me go to my chambers. I'll be back to pass my judgment or give my decision." And while he's gone, some uh, nobody out of the crowd walks up and stands in the judge's seat and says, "I'm going to tell you what I think ought to happen here," and and no one cares. You know why? Because he's not the judge. That's not his job, and that's what James four and chapter four, verse eleven and twelve is saying. It's not my job to judge you. Now, as a pastor, it is my job to teach Bible doctrine. It may be my job on occasion to warn theologically of things that are creeping into our uh, our circles of influence, things that are or maybe people or books or internet or whatever that are um, uh, unscriptural, that are going to do- doctrinally pull our people away. I don't have to be a judge of the person, but I, I can at least explain doctrinal truth. Um, did it ever occur to you that a murderer can find mercy? Mo- Moses did. David did. 
Paul the Apostle did. You know, a murder, a, a prostitute can find mercy. You know, a drunk can find mercy. But according to the scriptures, there's one person that can find no mercy, and that's the person who has exhibited no mercy. He shall have judgment without mercy that hath shown no mercy. You know, every disciple fled for his life well, when Jesus was arrested and then crucified. The disciples all fled. John, it appears that John the apostle may have um, fled in the garden and then come back at the at the cross. Uh, Zechariah thirteen seven is the prophetic chapter that says, "I will uh, the I'll smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered," and then fulfilled in Matthew twenty six thirty one. Um, then Jesus said to them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it's written, I'll smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But, uh, but John must have fled for a while. But these disciples, they ran and, and hid. Peter, you know the story. Peter three times in one night denied that he even knew Jesus, denied anything about it. Um, and yet what mercy God had on these people. And where was God when Adam sinned? God was looking for Adam. God was seeking to reconcile Adam. So where are you uh, when uh, a child of God sins? Are you on the accusing side with the devil? Or are you on the reconciling side with God? Um, where were you the last time someone messed up in church and fled? Were you looking for them? Were you trying to reclaim them? Uh, over in Galatians, it says, if a brother be overtaken in a fault, ye that are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. Um, we ought to be very, very guarded about our attitude. You know, just who is the church for? Who who was the church made for? Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. So I think the church is for sinners. For whom did Christ die? He died for the sinners. And you understand that the reason Christ's death was so morbid, so brutal, so horrible, it's because it's what we deserved. Our sin was so bad that we can see the punishment we deserve by the way God treated his own son. And it was what we should have faced. It's what we should have endured. That horrible, mocking, humiliating, and painful, and terrible suffering, every bone out of joint, and, and just a broken, a broken body, a broken uh, world all over. And, um, and that is what he did for you. And over in Ephesians 4.32, uh, mentioned this the other day when we were going through some of these, that, that he wants you to forgive even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That's the kind of forgiveness we ought to have toward others. It's not our job to destroy, but to forgive. And, um, you know, just show me uh, the great stories in your Bible. Think through. Um, let's just take the Gospel of John. And this, there's more to this, is just off the top of my head, but take the Gospel of John. In John chapter 3, there's this proud religious leader that comes to Jesus. He doesn't know his Bible. He, he's a ruler of the Jews, and Jesus kind of slaps him verbally. Art thou ruler of the Jews, and you don't know these simple things? And then in John chapter 4, you've got a woman who's had four husbands, or five husbands, and she was living with the sixth guy. And then you go a little... A little further over to chapter 5, there's a crippled guy. And he'd been for years a cripple, poor, destitute. In chapter 6, Jesus preaches a sermon that's a little hard to follow, and a whole bunch of the people just walked away and quit on Jesus. 
You go over to chapter 8 of John, and you find a woman that was taken supposedly in the very act of adultery. And she was forgiven by Jesus. You can go on in John and find Peter boasting, though all forsake you, I never will. And you could find Judas betraying Jesus and Jesus calling him friend. Friend, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Uh, All of the disciples forsook him. Thomas doubted him even when the others saw him. They all went back at one point to fishing, went back to their old life, even after they'd seen the risen Lord. Just think with me. David, his adultery and murder, Moses in his temper, Solomon in his idolatry, Abraham, who was fearful of his own life and, and so lied about who his, his wife was, saying she was his sister. You know, the spirit of the church should be one of forgiveness. Now, there again, I said this the other day, but there are times perhaps someone should um, make a public statement. I messed up and I just want people in church to know I've, I've gotten right with God. And, uh, and I'd love to have my church back. I don't think it'd be wrong to do that. I don't think you need to go into all the details. Most people in a church don't know what went on. But perhaps if a group knew, it might not hurt to, to make a public statement of some kind. But the fact is, if God forgives you, that's pretty well covers things. Um, you know, right now at this moment, there are some of God's finest people who are out of church, and and they're useless. They're not getting anything done. They're not teaching. They're not working. They're not helping in jails, rest homes, Sunday school, bus routes, church choirs. They're sitting useless somewhere because of the judgmental spirit of the people of God who sit in those pews, who, if we go back to James, they're just as sinful because if you break one law, you violate it all. The best Christian... um, music person, I would say, choir, congregational singing, um, somebody just capable of touching hearts of the young and old alike. Um, he sits today pretty much not busy in church, um, all because of criticism and slander, uh, not because of, of wrongdoing. It's because of, it's because of the critical hearts of people who I believe will give an account to God for their, for their words. You know, Matthew 12, 36 says, that people will give an account of every idle word. Now, I don't understand all the doctrine behind that. I just know it's a warning. But the fact is, some of God's finest sit today out of church or in some casual church doing little or doing nothing because of judgmental, critical, and um, and maybe because they were judging and criticizing and, and then something went wrong in their life, a child went astray or lost a marriage or lost a business or something went wrong and and you know they don't believe that people will forgive them because maybe they didn't forgive i don't know but i know this whether it be pride or fear of being unaccepted i know this you're accepted with god you're accepted uh you know not in the christian sense but in the secular sense the greatest president america's ever had in my mind relaxes in florida and the only reason is because of arrogant slanderous people, uh, people who couldn't hold a candle to him in hard work and in productivity, and yet he's not uh, influencing America at all like he, he did for a while simply because of all the slander, because of all the anger and all the jealousy. And uh, I, I think that's kind of a picture of our church. And I want to encourage you. You may not be able to change your church, but you can be one. You can be one. Let's make it our job to make sure people know they're loved. 
to make sure they know. Remember that group of, in John chapter 8, that group of Pharisees bring this woman that was supposedly caught in the very act of adultery. They didn't bring the guy, just the woman. And um, they all stand around there, and they said this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Moses in the law says she should be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus knelt down, wrote whatever he wrote in the dirt. And then he said, he that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And I'll tell you something, Jesus did not approve of the judgment, of the humiliating, of the slander of that woman. And one by one, as he wrote in the dirt, those people left the room. And he looked up at the lady and said, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, I want you to understand, you're not Christ-like if you don't have the go and sin no more. If you don't have the neither do I condemn thee, how is your condemning spirit today? Because unless you can get rid of that spirit of condemnation, that spirit of judgment, uh, you're, you're no near, near Christ than the bartender or the dancer in a, in a casino stage show. Oh, forgiveness. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the second great commandment. And I want to encourage you, individually and corporately as a church, may we be people who understand forgiveness. And I hope you'll stop posting things on the internet that are just gossip, and I hope you'll quit liking and forwarding things that ought to be shut down, and they, they ought not be uh, scattered across the world, true or not true. And I hope, I hope we'll have a guarded tongue and a guarded spirit toward those around us. Hey, have a great day. Thanks for joining me today.